0: continuing a, a sermon series that we've been doing for 17 weeks. It's the longest sermon series I've ever preached, and we're halfway through. Um, incredible experience for me. I don't know if it's been good for you, but this has been an amazing thing for me as a preacher. It has stretched me. I have learned so much. You think the preacher should know all these stories, but I'll just be real honest with you. I've read every week, and I go, what? <laughs> I never heard that in my life, you know? There, there are so many things that uh, have kind of popped up through this sermon series, and I wasn't here last week, um, I know Donnie did a great job, I, I wish I'd get to hear him, every time he preaches it's because I'm sick or dead or something, but um, he, uh, I, I, I just appreciate him kind of helping and stepping in, um, but uh, if you, if you kind of missed the last couple weeks or you haven't been around, I, I want to kind of tell you and kind of calibrate here and let you know where we're at, um, we are, we're working on a book called The Story, and the book looks just like that, um, and we, well, a lot of us have them, if you'd like one, come see me. Um, If you can pay for it, that's great. If you can't, um, if you can reimburse us, that's great. If you can't, then we've just given them away too. I don't know if we have any more left, um, but we kind of get them as we can. Um, But just an amazing book that's leading us through the Bible. And the thing about the Bible is it's, and we all kind of agree with this, when when you really be honest about it, it's hard to understand. It just is. And part of my responsibility as a preacher is to find new ways of making it easy to understand. And more importantly than that, to make it something that's that impacts your life And one of the, my biggest pet peeves about church and it always has been since i was a little kid that my earliest memories of church i got frustrated when the preacher gave me information that didn't change my life in any way that what am i supposed to do with this It's just like math to me at that point you know i remember when i grew up i i took uh... trigonometry in high school and i remember thinking when am i ever going to use trigonometry again in my life ever And I want you to know that I will be 38 years old this year, and since my junior year in high school, I have not one time used trigonometry in my life. Now, maybe I should have, maybe that's a problem, but I have not one time come in contact where I'm at Walmart, and and the girl says, I'll give you 50% off right now if you can tell me the Y tangent in that story problem. It's never happened. And I'll tell you, that happens at church. Where you come in here on Sundays, we learn stories or we, I tell you something, or you read something, and you leave with information. And I, I want to tell you this morning, if you, want, if you just want information about the Bible, you're in the wrong place. It's not who we are. It's not what we're going to do. In fact, I believe that just learning the Bible, just learning the stories, actually can be a detriment to you in your faith. It can actually make you think that knowing the Bible will change your life. <laughs> you know how many people I know, and, and I'm... I feel terrible about this as a preacher. I'm not as passionate about theology and about diving into doctrine and getting really deep into things as some of my colleagues are in in ministry. I I know preachers who just love to talk, use big words and dive in and study. And and I'm just not that guy, but I've met so many preachers who know everything there is to know, or at least they think they do, about the Bible, tons more than I do. But in the long run, all they have is information. And, and I want you to know that the Bible, when we, when we read this, if we're not careful, we just gather information. And it can be like trigonometry. It doesn't matter if you don't apply it. If it doesn't have something that impacts your life, it doesn't matter. In fact, I've got to tell you this. If you go listen to a teacher or a preacher on a regular basis, if you are listening to them online or you watch them on TV or whatever, and you constantly feel like all you got was information, turn the channel. Because it is actually dangerous for you to hear the Bible, to hear these stories, to hear this information and not apply it to your life. Okay, that's my rant. So as we've gone through this, what we've said is we are constantly looking for sermon opportunities and teaching opportunities where we can take the word of God and apply it to our lives so that it makes a change in who we are. And I'm going to tell you the story, this book has done that for me, and I know that it's done it for some of you. As we go through this, it puts the Bible in chronological order. It allows us to see the Bible as, as more of a, a God's story of everybody. Um, and I, I know coming up real soon, you're going to see, um, if you get cable television, the, the History channel has the Bible. Um, that it's set up like a film. It starts March 3rd, I believe. Um, amazing. They're taking you through basically this book. Um, and I believe that movie or that film series is kind of a response to this book. People are so moved by hearing the story of who we are. And we're going to continue a little bit of that today. What I love about these stories and what I love about this book is that it begins to, to show us that even though these people lived a long time ago, some of them a really long time ago, they have a whole lot in common with us. And really, what the Bible is—it's—it's it's not just a set of rules. If you're here today and you're—you're you're kicking tires on the church thing, maybe what you thought church was was—and and the Bible is—is is it's a set of rules that are going to keep you from having fun, you know? What the Bible really s- seems to be to, to people is just this—this this inhibitor, fun inhibitor, you know? And, and uh, okay, the Bible tells me anything I really want to do I can't do, okay? And, and I really think that that's how sometimes we see. But the truth is, the Bible isn't just a set of rules. In fact, we we talk about the Bible as sort of our GPS, like you've got in your car, that it leads you down the right paths to to the things that you want in your life, and I do believe that's true. But even more than that, I think what we read in the Bible is that we get God's perspective on human life, on the things that you and I deal with on a a daily basis. And man, the story this week um, is, uh, it's actually chapter 17, I think I have chapter 12, or no, it is chapter 12, I'm sorry, it's week 17, I'm taking a couple weeks um, for some of these. Chapter 12 um, is King, it's still the story of King David. And I, I want to tell you this story today um, in sort of its entirety. Um, and one of the things about the, the, the book, the story, is that it doesn't go through every single page of the Bible and, and reiterate it. So there's some things I'm going to talk about today that I'm, I'm pulling from the Bible that actually aren't in the story. But I want you to hear the story of this man because I believe that it, this guy could live right now in your neighborhood. He could be sitting in the pew today. Some of the things he did, some of the things that he went through in his life are applicable to us today. And in this story, we see a man with some broken dreams. Um, I don't know about you, but um, actually I probably do know about you. I don't know very many adults who haven't had a dream in their life for something. A dream of, of what the future looks like. And I honestly don't know very many adults who haven't had that dream absolutely shattered at some point. You know, as you're growing up, You think of things like um, what your house will look like, what your car will look like, what job you'll have. You think of that guy, you know, I remember when I was in in high school, I had a perfect picture of my family. Beautiful wife who was a really good athlete, a smart, really pretty kids, you know, really big, rich house, which is funny because I always wanted to be a preacher, but somehow I thought I was going to have this huge, enormous mansion, you know. And I remember the picture that I had as a kid. I remember the picture I had of my first car. When I was 15, I got that itch, you know, that itch for wanting a car. And I remember the picture I had. And I was looking at Mustangs. Oh, I could not imagine how the girls would flock if I had that red Mustang that I wanted. 1991 Mustang. It's what I really wanted bad. And I looked at I looked at everything, and I, I I got a job, and I started saving my money, and I got all this stuff up. And when it came time for my dream car, I got it. A 1974 Jeep Cherokee (laughs) that was poop brown, that had rust spots through it. You could see through it. The seats in this thing wouldn't sit up, so I had to put canoe paddles to keep the seats up. It had no door handles, this is absolutely true, you can ask my dad, it had no door handles so I had to take vice grips on each side and use them for the door handles. This was not a 1991 Mustang. My dream, already at 16 years old, I knew dreams don't go the way you plan. They just don't. And some of you sit today and you say, "Amen." Hey, man, maybe you're, you always dreamed that you would have one marriage that would last your lifetime. And it broke. <laughs> Maybe some of you think you would, you would have a, a really nice house in a really nice neighborhood and you would have a great retirement and you come to retirement age and you still haven't started retirement. Maybe that dream has died. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I can go back and I can look at one dream after another. I've got I to gotta read this to you. My mom, um, when I was a kid, she, at the time it drove me nuts. Now I'm so glad she did it. But she, um, she collected everything. Before scrapbooking was big, she did every, all, She took everything that I had ever done and put it in books. So now I just have all these books. And I remembered seeing this. In 1993, when I was at Edgewood High School, they had me um, write what my goals were for my life, what my dream was for my life. And I found it. I'm not going to bore you with all this, but I've got to tell you this. Um, and there's all kinds of questions here, and you answer them individually in your family. It was a really cool thing that the school did at that point. And I said this. They said, um, dream a little. Describe what you'll be doing um, in your life in 10 years. Okay? That was in 1993. I couldn't imagine how, how I would ever be 28 years old because I was just so old at the time. And I'll be, When I'm an old dude at 28, here's what I wrote. I'll be the minister of a small church somewhere in Indiana. And I'll be in the middle of one of the most godly churches ever. Probably married to a wonderful woman. I'll be the minister of that same church for 30 years. I'll be doing all three services and teaching my children to love God. And I'll be a scratch golfer. That's what I'd rather... (laughs) That was 1993. And now, if you'd know me today, you might think, well, look at his, his dream. He's in a small church in Indiana. This is what... Let me, let me tell you how my dream crashed. I went to Lincoln Christian College, went to, to study to do ministry, and I, went to my, I got married early, my senior year in, in college. I went to a church, and long story short, my, my first wife left me. Met a person over the Internet. This was a long time ago, right when the Internet, nobody had ever heard of that. She met a person that she on a forum on the Internet, had an affair, and left me. It was gone. My dream was shattered. I mean, you might as well have taken this piece of paper and ripped it up. I was in a church that had never had a divorced man in leadership ever. They'd never had an elder. They'd never had a deacon. They'd never had a Sunday school teacher who had been divorced ever. And when this happened to me, it was obvious this is the end of my dream. I'll never forget what happened because here's what I had done, and and this is going to get us right into our story today, and I need your attention for just a second because I'm afraid that some of you have done this too. This is human nature, and this is what David did. What I had done is I had taken my faith in God and my dream, and instead of holding them apart, what I did is I wrapped them together. You know what I mean? I twisted them together. I took my faith in God and I twisted it around a dream that I had for 50 years of marriage or 60 years of marriage to the same woman. For a perfect ministry where everybody thought I was a great preacher and nothing bad ever happened. That was my dream for my life. And when here's what happens if you do that. If you're here today... And you do that with your life. If you take the faith that you have in God and you twist it around a dream, a picture of your future, when your dream dies, and I hate to be pessimistic today, but just let me tell you, your dream's going to die at some point. Not all of it, but a part of it. And it only takes a little part. When you twist your faith in with your dream and your dream dies, your faith goes with it. That's what happens in our story today. Now, the end of my story is that I went from one church to another. I ended up leaving the church after my divorce and took a different route in my life. It was very lonely. had an awful spiritual time um, because my faith was so wrapped in my dream. And when I had to leave church, I felt like I had to leave God. And I made some terrible choices and I went down some terrible roads. And I did that thing that, that I see all the time. And I see it in this room. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but I'm thinking of you, all right? I see it in this space where we go, you know what I really want? I see this in, in women and men all the time when they're single and they're looking for a partner. You know what I really want? I really want a guy who is, is trying to find God and trying to develop his faith. I really want a guy who will be really good to me as a woman and really good to my kids. That's who I want. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the bar Friday night and pick up the first guy I see. That's what we do. We have the dream, and then we take a path that will not connect that dream. Never. And that's what I did. Because I had twisted my faith and my dream, and my faith had gone down with my dreams. Well, God is so good, and here I am with all the mistakes I've made and the brokenness, and I can go down the list. I have a wife that I don't deserve. Just, I, there's no other way to say it. I've messed up so many times in my life. There's no way I deserve Russia. And I look at this, and I'm in a small church in Indiana that I believe is one of the most godly churches I've ever been in in my life. I don't deserve this. I don't. And I don't know that, my, that there, there's a whole lot in there that didn't come true. I'm not a scratch golfer, let me tell you. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I, there's a lot of my dreams that have crashed, but in the long run, what I've learned to do a little bit, I'm getting better, is to untwist my faith to take that dream that I've got and to go, okay, it's over here and it's okay to have that dream, but it is separate from my faith. And when something goes wrong in my life, I've been able to go, all right, God, then I'll just take the next step and trust that you've got it. Here's what happened to a man named David. I love this story. Next slide. He has this birth of a dream. David is just, this is just an every man story. And if you, if you, read, uh, if you read the Bible a lot and you feel like it doesn't apply, you're going to hear me tell the story today and go, is that in the Bible, really? Because that's cool and interesting. And I'm going to go, yeah, you need to read this. It's really amazing story. What happens is um, there, there's a king in Israel, the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. He's doing a pretty good job. He's staying close to God. He's leading the people well. And one day a man named Samuel, who God says, you're going to anoint the next, next king. Samuel's going, why do we need another king? We have a great one right now. God goes, that's going to change. Trust me. So you're going to go into this family, and you're going to see a man um, named Jesse, and he's going to have some sons. He's going to have a whole bunch of sons. One of his sons is the king. And you almost get Samuel going, okay, which one is it? And God goes, you'll know. You'll know. So he goes in, and he meets Jesse. And you've heard me tell this story, one son after another, strapping big studs, you know. And, and, he, and Samuel thinks, this is the king. And God goes, nope, 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 nope. Finally, a little boy named David, the teenager, just a little shepherd boy and god says this is the boy it's the birth of a dream look at this first samuel chapter 16:12 the lord said rise and anoint him this is the one can you imagine being 13 years old and the only way we can really really kind of relate to this is to think of it in terms of america which is funny how we do that but it really is so i'm going to do that this morning think about you in your life you're 13 years old you're working at kentucky fried chicken or you're working, maybe at 13, you can't even do that. I was working at 13 at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't think they let you do that anymore. You're, you're working in a field somewhere. You're mowing lawns. And a guy comes to you and says, you're going to be the next president of the United States. Your brothers go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Did you see his grade in math? This dude, you do not want this kid to be the president of the United States. And a guy comes who is a spiritual leader and says, you're going to be, be the next president of the United States. Can you imagine that? Nobody knows you. You're nobody. You have no name. Nobody knows who you are. You have no family involved. You don't, you've never been to Washington, D.C. <laughs> you couldn't even name the last three presidents. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you're totally shocked by this. David is shocked by this. And I don't know that he totally believes it. Because you know what he does? What I'd do is I'd be like, hey, man, bring up my limo. King of Israel right here. Somebody bring me a limo, or a nice horse at least, all right? He doesn't. I don't think he totally believes it. His brothers laugh. His dad kind of gets this weird feeling. I don't know if this is true or not. And David goes back out to the shepherds. He goes back to mowing lawns. He goes back to his life. And things pretty much go back to normal. And if if you're like David, and David's like me and you, a couple weeks later, he may even forget about this whole thing. He may even be sitting around the table with his brothers and they're going, hey, you remember when that dude came by and told you you were going to be the next president? And he he starts going, yeah, isn't that funny? I'm just a little twerp. And as things start to progress with David, some small things start to happen to bring hope into David that maybe this is true. Well, The first thing that happens is Saul finds out that David is a good harp player. Um, he plays a harp and he writes music. And at this point in history, if you're a shepherd um, and the sheep aren't particularly moving much, you got to do something. And so he learned to, to shoot a slingshot and he learned to play the harp and to, and to write music. And King Saul hears that this David... Can write music, and he likes the harp, so he asked David to come play for this. Now, the very first time in your life, can you imagine this, put this back in American terms again, somebody says, the president heard you can play a wicked guitar, and you go, what? And he would like to hear you play, and the first thing that happens is you go, maybe that old dude who put oil on my head knew something. Because there's no chance that I'd ever have this chance. So he gets a little bit of hope, and he starts to dream. He ends up playing harp in front of the king on a regular basis. King Saul would say, make up a song about me. And David was just good at that. Oh, king, you are so good, you know. Saul would go, yeah, David's good. Yeah, bring that kid back in here. And David would go, and he would play the harp, just a young little kid. Well, the next thing that happened is, David at one point, he was still young. His brothers were out fighting for Israel. And at that point in history, um, if the army was close, you fed your own family. They didn't have great big meals and MREs, you know, that you can open up on site. That family actually went out and fed their family on the battlefield. So David's dad, Jesse, said, who still really didn't believe he was going to be king. He's still a little twerp, but he's playing some music at the kingdom. So that's kind of weird. But there's a little bit of a dream started, but still David is just a twerp. And his dad says, take some food to your brothers out on the battlefield. So he's taking some food. He's out there, you know. He takes this food out to his brothers. And when he gets close, he hears a voice of one of the largest men who have ever lived. His name's Goliath. And even if, you're not, if you've not read the Bible, you've heard the story of David and Goliath on ESPN when some number one team in the nation gets knocked off by some nobody. I'm not ready to talk about the IU game yet. <laughs> <clears throat> You've heard the story of David and Goliath in a lot of different ways. It is a true historical fact. Here's what happened with little twerp David. He went out and he heard this giant say, start making fun of Israel. And David said this real innocent thing. He said, this is so naive. He said, who does that big dude think he is? Doesn't he know that God's on our side? Doesn't he know that we've got the king of the world? That we have the, the master of the universe on our side, and the guy the guys that are fighting with him go, yeah, he, you know, he says that that we we need to come out and fight him, and if we do, then then we win. If, if we if we beat him, and but none of us are, uh, you know, we're all scared. And David goes, I ain't scared. And everybody starts laughing, and his brothers get mad, and you know the story. David goes out with a sling, and he tries to put on the armor of Saul, and he just looks hilarious, and it's big, and he can't walk with it, so he takes the armor off, and and here. Here he goes walking out to Goliath with a sling and five stones. Love this story. If you haven't heard it, go to the website, the the New Life website. I tell the whole story, and I could tell it again, but I won't. It's an amazing story in the Bible that is absolutely true. David starts to walk towards this giant, and before the giant can say, "Who does this guy think he?" A rock hits him right here, forehead. He goes down. And at that moment, David goes over and he grabs the giant's sword, which he can barely pick up, and he lops off the giant's head. See, I told you the Bible's not boring. What a crazy story. So he picks up the head, and now David becomes a living legend. And at that moment, there's something that happens to David. At that moment, David's dream starts to become real. I'll never forget the first time I, uh, I saw my, my wife now, my second wife, I, I remember thinking, "No way would she ever be interested in me. I mean, cute, funny, everybody loved her, guys, you know, lined up. I'm just another guy, dummy in line, you know? <laughs> I remember the first time I saw her, the first time I was around her, and I'm like, "Oh man, she's awesome. And I'm an idiot. She's not, I'm like this, you know, ugly hair, and i will get a little pot belly, and look at that guy, and I'm out. And then one day, she came into my office, we were both on the same staff, we are both single. One day she came into my office, and she just did this thing, and I'm just a dumb guy, but she did this thing where she put her foot on the door, and there was just this look about her, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I think she just invited me to go mountain biking with her. She's like, do you mountain bike? I'm like, oh, I love to mountain bike. Never been on a mountain bike in my life. <laughs> Never one time. Never one time. Lied to her right there in the church. And so I said, by the way, I uh, <clears throat> don't have my mountain bike with me. Do you have an extra? So she found me an extra mountain bike, and I acted like I wasn't panting the whole time. And we, I rode with her, and when we were done, she said, you want to watch a movie tonight? And I went, Yeah. And there's this thing that happened in me. I began to, to create a dream. That maybe, maybe the, there was a chance. Somehow she had seen something in my big Q-tip haired looking. She had seen something in me. And all of a sudden I started to believe the dream. This is what happens to David when he lops off the head of the giant. People start singing. They start singing, Saul is a pretty good king, but David... Kills giants. And it was on. David, at that moment, began the dream of being a king. Now, I don't know when, when a dream started with you, but the birth of a dream can be one of the most exciting, one of the most fun, one of the most interesting times in your entire life. And, and if you've forgotten it, maybe you're, you're old enough now that you quit dreaming, I, I want to encourage you today to, to find a new dream. Because this is a healthy thing. When you separate it from your faith, when you don't twist them together, dreaming like this is a good thing that comes from God. And David begins the dream in a really good way. A- and then, things start to happen with David. He starts moving real fast. He becomes really well-known. Imagine if, if you were just a lawnmower, just a normal family, a normal kid, kind of a twerp, kind of a little guy, kind of a little girl, kind of, nobody really knew you, and all of a sudden you did something that gave you national coverage. Now you're on Good Morning America every other day. Now ESPN's talking about you three times a week. And you've become the new thing. That's David. And at this point, King Saul begins to invite David into his house more often. And at one point, King Saul says, this was back when their marriages were arranged, which I thought was an awful thing until I had a daughter. Now I'm kind of liking the whole arranged marriage thing again. Um, He said, he finally, King Saul said, David, I want you to marry my daughter. And David went, Yeah. You know, and they get married, and now David's going, Here comes the dream. I'm just getting closer. Now it's even easier. Now he's my father in law. I'm going to be the next king. No question. That old dude who threw oil on me knew what he was talking about. I'm going to be the next king. The dream continues, you see? But then something happens the beginning of the death of a dream. I'll never forget. I came home from church as one of the worst days of my life. Now it seems like a whole no- somebody else's life. But I, during my first marriage, my first ministry, I came home from church on a Wednesday. I had to preach in the evening, and I always came home a little bit, ate something, and then went back and preached. And I came home from church, and all of my first wife's bags were on the front porch. And this is how naive and stupid I was. I thought, "Huh, I forgot she was going on vacation." She must have decided that she was going, I must have forgot it. So I went, where are you going? She goes, I'm out of here. Met somebody else. I'm tired of this. Don't want ministry. Don't want you. Said some awful things that I'll never forget. I don't have any feelings for her now, but I'll never forget those things. And I'll never forget the death of the dream for me. We tried counseling, and I, I begged her, and we tried some things for another six months. But really, that, I knew. There was a better guy. There was a, another thing my dream of 50 years of marriage and a long ministry in the same place was over I don't know when your dream might have died but there is this moment and I'm telling you today that if you in that moment can't separate your faith in God from your dream your faith will go down with your dream it did for me Fortunately, I had enough family around me to remind me and help me untwist those two things together that I ended up finally getting back on track. But with David, it started in this way. The death of his dream started in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul Saul, saw how successful he was, he was afraid of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. And then in chapter 19, verse 1, Saul sold his, told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now, Jonathan and David, Jonathan was Saul's um, son, and Jonathan and David became best friends. And Jonathan wanted to save David's life. So he comes to David and he says, my dad wants to kill you. And David's like, what? the new king? Why would he want to kill me? He said, well, have you heard the song, David? People began to sing a song about David and Saul. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul is pretty good. David is the best. And at one point in this story, the man that Saul says, you're the next guy. David, you're my you're it. You are the guy. You, I, want your daughter to, I want my daughter to marry you. I, you're my family. You're my Saul throws a spear at David. At one point, he gets so scared that David and so jealous of David's success that he throws a spear at David. David, I don't know, does a little matrix move and dodges it, just barely gets out of it. Almost gets killed by Saul. And that's when Jonathan says. Saul told his son Jonathan and all his attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. And because of David's twisted faith, because he had twisted his faith around his dream, his feeling was this, and maybe you felt this way too. Maybe you're feeling this way today. That if God doesn't take care of me in the way that I expect him to, if things don't go the way I plan them to go, then God must not love me. And all the things that I believed about God, all the things that my faith was wrapped around, must not be true if my dream isn't true. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like what my son Reese does when I tell him he can't play video games anymore today. He stomps, he jumps up and down, and he starts this rant that if if it didn't make me so mad, it would make me laugh. It's this, "I want my way, and I have lost all perspective on life because I can't play Nintendo anymore today. I have a picture for what I want to do next, and because it's not working, nothing else matters." I know it sounds stupid but you do it I hear it all the time I do it I feel it all the time that if things don't go exactly the way I thought they should go God must not love me maybe there isn't even a God anyway somehow we think we know better than God and David at this point in history with all the amazing things God has done for him and all the ways God has led him and the things that have come true that that God proposed to David at this point, when things go a little wrong, when David's dream seems to be in jeopardy, his faith is so twisted with his dream that he makes some huge mistakes. Here's what happens to David. When David's dream begins to die, now here, I, I, want, you, I want to remind you of this. Maybe I should be a better preacher and be able to do this without reminding you, but I'm just going to straight up tell you. Don't think of this as just a story and information. Remember, we're applying this to our lives. I want you to apply this to your life today. If you your faith is twisted up with your dreams, if today you're going, you know what? I believed in God until so-and-so passed away too early or until this thing happened or until this thing happened. I believed in God. Now, things have changed. David says this. Or when David's dream begins to die, here's what happens. First thing he does is turn his back on God. He completely turns his back on God. Second thing he does is turn his back on his values. He, you wouldn't believe it. I'm going to tell you in a second what David does. It's, it's astounding for a man who later becomes um, somebody God calls a man after his own heart. And then thirdly, he takes things into his own hands. He begins to say, God, if, you, if I can't trust you to take care of my dreams, I'm going to take care of my own dreams. And, and he, takes, he takes things into his own hands. And here's what happens. He runs away. From the one thing that God has, has obviously made it true, that he, he's going to be king, he runs away. He goes far away. He begins to run from Saul. And he goes into a place called Nob, which is a funny thing. It's like doorknob. Um, and if you, if you read this real quick, you may, uh, you may not get what Nob is. But here's what it is. At this point in history, there are priests that Israel set up, Okay. Now, the priests are a little bit different than Catholic priests now. The whole situation was a lot different. But the way it worked at this point in history is that they, they didn't just um, have a church that the priests lived in. They had a town that all the priests for the area would live in, and they would provide all their food, and the priests would live there together, and, and their families and everybody. And this place was called Nob. Um, strange name for a town. But this place was called Nob, and all the priests from the area lived there. David went to Nob. He went to Nob, and he was so scared, he went to a man's house um, named Ahimelech. He was a priest. Now, at this point, Ahimelech's been watching ESPN. He's been watching the Today Show in the morning. He knows who David is by sight, you know. Now, they didn't actually have news channels at that point, but they would, he would have seen David. He would have heard stories about David. And when David came into his house, David completely lost, we would say it this way, he lost his religion, <laughs> He completely took things into his own hand to the point where he started lying. He started making up stories. You, you know how this goes. David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him. You know, like if I met LeBron James, I'd be, hi. You know, I, I, I don't know, who, whoever it is, NASCAR, that you meet. You just go, what? I, I, I didn't think this day would ever come. And the priest goes, David. And he trembles. And he, you almost hear him say, "Can I have your autograph?" You know, he says, "This. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you?" See, David is a big—he's a big general in the army. He 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 fights, and he has armies with him, and he has guards with him at all the time because he's too important to just let go out by himself. <coughs> Excuse me, Ahimelech says, "David, why are you alone?" And then David, man, he tells a whopper, and he gets a Ahimelech. David answered to the priest. The king sent me on a mission. I'm on a mission from Gad. <laughs> the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. So Ahimelech's like, ooh, I got inside information. David's in my house, and he's got a secret mission, and he's including me. Man, David totally uses this priest. He totally lies. He makes up this whole thing, and this is what happens. This is what happens to you and me too. When, when our dreams kind of start to fail, when our life doesn't go the way we expect it to go, and we go, God, I, I give up on you. I'm going to do it my way. This is what happens. We begin to lie. We begin to cheat. We turn our back on God. I see it all the time. I see it on Facebook. I'm almost ready to kind of turn off Facebook in my life. I'm so disappointed with people. I love people so much, and I love you all and my family, and people post things, and I'm like, really? Really? I wish I had never known that. I wish I had never seen that photo from that night. I just, I don't need that in my life. And this is, and I can see it. I'm like, oh no, life isn't going the way they expected and they're taking things in their own hand. That's the only reason that person who is that close to God ends up in that place with that person looking like that. You know what I'm saying? And later David looks back and you're going to see it in a minute. David can't believe how far he went. David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission. I'm on a secret mission. As for my men, you got to keep the lie going, don't you? Because that's what lying is. you just got to keep it going. As for my men, I've told them to meet me in a certain place. Oh, they're out there. Now, David says, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. And Ahimelech's like, why would the most famous warrior in all of the land Show up by himself and not even a thought about getting any food. But he's so enamored by David, and surely this man who has been so close to God wouldn't lie to him. So he, the rest of the story is this: that he, he's got it, it, these, these priests have bread and, and they have bread a lot that is consecrated bread. And the way God set this up before Jesus came is, He said, "You're going to have five loaves of bread out there all the time." And the priests are going to make this bread, and they're going to leave it out, and it's going to represent my provision for all of Israel. And at the end of the week, if the priests live the way they're supposed to, that's no relations with women, nothing lying, no, they're constantly in a relationship with God, then they can eat that consecrated bread at the end of the week. And Ahimelech just fudges a little bit, and he's like, well, all I have is this consecrated bread, which is really for priests. And it's really set apart. And David is so into his own thing, he goes, Give me the good stuff. And David eats the bread. Now, it gets even worse. There's an icon of faith. Next slide. So he's got some bread in him, and now he's still scared, and he knows that Saul and all Saul's men are coming after him. So he says to the priest something that is unthinkable. He says this, David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or sword here? Now, he's in a a whole city of priests, and he's asking for a sword. I haven't brought my sword or any other weapons because the king's mission was so urgent. He has to keep the lie going. The priest replied, look at this. Now, here's what, I love this story. You couldn't write this any better. Look at this. The priest goes, I only have one sword. If you didn't read this, you've got to go back. And if you didn't read this, you don't know this story, you're going, what is the sword? You've got to hear this. Guess which sword the priest has. The sword that David lopped the head off of Goliath with. It's Goliath's sword. It's become an icon of faith. Here's what happened. At some point in history, at some point at that time, David dropped that sword, everybody went, and one of the priests or somebody went and got Goliath's sword, and they took it as a reminder that God's way is the right way. It's the best way. It's the good way. With God on your side... What can go wrong? Maybe things look wrong, but God has always got a plan. And this icon of faith, this thing in the faith, the priest has, and he says, that's the only sword I have. Look what David says. Now, you would think David would see this sword and remember a time when he was just a little skinny twerp and look at this and go, what am I doing? I'm lying. I'm running. I'm running away from what God has. Turn my back on God. But he doesn't. He's so messed up. He's so far from God at this point. He has turned his back so much. He is so deep in his lie that he says this. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David doesn't go, Oh, that sword. I forgot God. He's in charge of my life. He doesn't. He says, there's none like it. Give it to me. Give me that sword. And then there's, there's this moment. Now and I don't know about you, but here's what I'm hoping you get a little bit right now as we, as we talk. I brought one of mine I'm going to show you here in a second. I hope there's some icons of faith in your life. Some pictures. And I told you my mom has this big the, uh, uh, not one, there's like tons of these books that she has put, you know, everything I've ever done, ribbons I got for science fair and report cards that I wish she hadn't saved, you know what I'm saying? All these things that she saved for me. I, I, I don't know about you, but I hope there's something in, in your life, and I, I'm hoping right now that you start to picture in your house, maybe it's a photo, maybe it's a, it's a thing of some sort, an icon of faith, where you can look back and you can go, that is, represents a time, Where God took control. Where God proved to me that he's in charge. I brought one with me. wish my wife was here. It is Valentine's Day. She couldn't come today. This is a picture, a postcard, save the date postcard for my wedding to Risha. Um, You can't see it, but I don't care. It's right here. Um, I was skinny. That was a long time ago. This sits in our house. And I, I to be honest, I, 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 when I was writing the sermon and I was saying you need to come up with an icon of faith, I started looking around my house. And I looked around and I saw a picture of London. I had this huge picture frame of London with her big blue eyes and she's got this funny smile when she was really young. And I almost picked that up I thought, yeah, that's, that's proof that God is in charge of my life. And I saw some of Reese and I saw some other photos and then I went around the corner and this is on the shelf. This is just Risha and I, the day of our wedding. I remember that day thinking, I don't deserve this. I made so many mistakes. I've done it so bad. as And I remember thinking that day, only by the grace of God would this woman spend the rest of her life with me. And when I see it, I think of all the junk that Risha and I have been through together, the financial hardships, the mistakes we've made, the stupid things we've said to each other, the fights, the arguments, the things. And I think about how God has so taken charge of my life. And he has so blessed me with that. This is the icon of my faith. This is my Goliath sword in my life. I'm hoping you think of one this morning. And as we move through, I'm almost done with this. David has a moment of clarity. A moment of clarity that happens. Basically, David takes the sword. There is a man at uh, at the priest's house that is part of Saul's um, cabinet. Basically, he's part of Saul's. uh, He knows Saul well, and David looks at him and thinks, "Boy, if." Saul gets wind that I was in a a Himelech's house. This could be bad. But he didn't think much more of it. He takes the sword, he takes the food, and he continues to hide. And at one point then, Saul finds out that David goes to see the priest. We're almost done. Hang with me. Saul finds out that David goes to see the priest. And so Saul is so mad and looking for David to kill him and so scared of David that he goes to Nob, this area of priests. And because of David's lie, look what happened. One son of Ahimelech, son of Ahithub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. Basically, Saul goes to Nob, and he goes to the house of Ahimelech, the priests, and he says, you helped David. I'm going to kill you, your family, and the entire city of Nob leveled. Because David (laughs) turned away from God. Because David had a jump up and down, I can't play Nintendo moment. You think that you turning your back on God only affects you? You think that the decisions you're making right now are your decisions to make? You have no idea the impact that your choices make on those around you. David has a moment of clarity that I pray you never have one like this. One of the guys gets away. From this disaster, One person in the entire city of Nob gets away, and he comes back to David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, That day when the, the guy that was part of King Saul's cabinet was there, the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. And then look at this line. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. If you're here today... Your dream has gone. You have twisted your faith so deeply with your dream that you have lost your faith. I want you to know this morning there are enormous consequences for turning your back on God. There are life consequences. And if you're here today and you think you're just affecting yourself, there will be a moment of clarity when you realize I have screwed up my kids because of this. I have messed over my wife. I have screwed up my neighbors. I have messed up my church. I had never intended for these things to happen. This is why this morning I am begging you. Even if you're today, you're so far from God that you don't care about yourself anymore. I am begging you, don't twist your faith with your dream. Because when you turn your back on God, you will have unintended consequences on everyone around you. David gets a second chance. That moment of clarity changed David. That moment of clarity totally changed David. It changed who he was. In fact, later on in his life, God calls David a man after his own heart. And look at this. I put these scriptures in here. Because after this story, after he gets this moment of clarity, this is the phrase that the Bible uses about David over and over. It's this. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him. After this moment, David, every, every step... All those scriptures right there, 1 Samuel 23, 30, 5, 5, 14, 14 in Chronicles, all those are times where David says, God, at every moment in my life where I think I know what's best, I'm going to stop and ask you because I don't intend to ever mess over other people with the choices I make. Again, David has this moment, we're almost done here, David has this moment that I'm I'm hoping maybe some of you have today. I've had it in my life. David has this moment where he realizes, my way ain't working. Me trying to take things into my own hands, trying to do whatever I think is best, isn't working. I'm going to give my life back to God. The band, you guys can come on up. That's always deep breath for everybody. We're almost done, right? Okay? Here it is. I'm going to beg you today to untwist your faith. I, I, want, I want you to keep your dreams alive. I, I want you to start new dreams. If you're here today and you're retired, maybe you feel like you're sort of at the end of your life, whatever, dream a dream, another one. Write another one today. Think of another one. Come up with a dream, but hold it separately from your faith. Always come to a place in your life where David did. At the end of his life, one battle after another was coming up. And people would say, David, what should we do? What should we do? And he would make choices based off what he knew God would want. People would say, you're crazy. You should do this. And David would say, I don't care what happens to me as long as I'm following God. Because as long, if God is leading me, I know I'll end up with the peace, the hope, and the joy that he's promised. There's this thing, and here's the picture I want to leave you with today. There's this thing with canoeing. I'm not a big canoer, but I've been enough with youth groups that I, I know this, this lesson that they teach you. If, if you're in a canoe on a, on a river um, and, uh, and the, the canoe starts to tip, you've all been there. canoe starts to tip, your natural reaction is to do what? To grab the sides, isn't it? To grab the sides of the canoe. This is what I did and I went down every time. And, and the instructor said this. I'll never forget this. She said, if you start to tip, don't reach for the sides of the canoe. Don't try to steady it yourself. She said, I love this. She said, go to your knees in the middle of the canoe. There's something that happens if you put all your weight in the middle of the canoe. All of your weight, all go right to your knees in the middle of the canoe and you'll recenter the canoe and you'll steady yourself. I've tried it. It works. Here's, here's why I tell you that story today. Because all of us are in canoes. Our stories are canoes in a raging river. Your story today when you walk out of here, the river's gonna rage, I promise, and your, your first thought when the canoe starts to get tippy is that I gotta fix this. My own thing, my own idea, I gotta fix this thing, and you reach for the sides. You will make it worse if you think you're in charge. But if you stop, go to your knees, I like that part, You put everything in the center and you go, God, would you give me perspective on my life? Where would you have me lead? I'm moving towards you. The thing will steady. I'm going to ask you today to lean into God in the midst of your rapids. And secondly, this is just as practical as I can get. Go home today and find icons of your faith. Find things, put them in your house, hang them put frames around them, put them in your house and remind your children, I know it's hard right now, but remember that, that was the day that we put God in charge of our lives and he came through. Today is the day to put God in charge. He will come through. I'm gonna give you a chance to do that today just between you and him. We're gonna sing this song. I'm gonna come right down here in front. If you'd like to come down in front today, if you'd like to say, I wanna put God in charge, please do that. You can do it right where you are. Just ask him to be in charge of your life as you do it today. Stand with us.